Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 35. Verse 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Burkett notes. Observe here, one, a cautionary direction given by Christ to the men of the world concerning his members. Take heed that ye do not offend one of my little ones. That is, that ye do not undervalue and neglect, much less injure and afflict them. Two, a reason assigned. Because their angels, being constantly and immediately in the presence of God, are perpetually ready to execute his will by revenging any wrongs and injuries done unto his friends and children. Learn one. What is the office and employment of the glorious angels, namely to be the immediate attendants upon the royal person of the supreme king and sovereign of the world? Learn hence, two, in what esteem good men are with God, and what a mighty regard he has for the meanest of his children, that he commits the care and preservation of them to the holy angels, who are nearest to him, and in the highest favor and honor with him. It is St. Jerome's note upon this place, that great is the dignity of the little ones, seeing every one of them, from his birth, has an angel delegated to preserve him. But though others think that the opinion of a tutelary angel, or of one particular angel's having the custody of one particular saint, as his continual charge, has not a sufficient foundation in the Holy Scriptures. Yet all the angels in heaven are ministering spirits to them, and though they do not always attend upon their persons, or they stand before the face of God, Yet it is to receive his commands, either to help them in their exigencies or punish those that injure them. Verses 11 through 14. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Burkett notes, Here our Savior continues his argument against giving offense to his children and members. He came into the world to redeem and save them. Therefore, none ought to scandalize and offend them. And to illustrate this, he compares himself to a good shepherd who regards every one of his sheep, and if any wander or go astray, he seeks to recover it with desire and joy. Learn, one, that the natural condition of mankind is like to that of wandering sheep. They err and go astray from God, their chief good, and the object of their complete happiness. Two, that it was the work and business, the care and concern of Jesus Christ to seek and recover lost souls as the shepherd doth his lost sheep. Three, that the love and care of Christ towards his sheep, in seeking to save and to preserve them, is a forcible argument unto all not to scandalize and offend them, much less to persecute and destroy them. Verses 15 through 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Burkett notes, In these words, 
Our Savior gives us an excellent rule for the duty of fraternal correction or brotherly admonition. Where note one, the brotherly reproof and admonition is a duty incumbent upon church members. Two, that it may be administered successfully, it must be administered privately and prudently. Three, when private admonition prevails not, Christ has appointed church governors to execute church censors on the obstinate and irreclaimable. Four, persons justly falling under the censures of the church and rightly excommunicated are to be looked upon as contumacious and stubborn offenders, and the members of the church to shun society and conversation with them. If he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man, and as a publican was among the Jews." wholly neglected, and not thought fit to be conversed with. Verse 19. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Burkett notes, that is, whomsoever the officers of my church shall justly excommunicate upon earth shall, without repentance, be shut out of heaven, and whoever upon their true repentance shall be absolved on earth shall be absolved in heaven. Learn that Christ will ratify in heaven whatsoever the church assembled doth in his name upon earth, whether to the censoring of the guilty or the absolving of the penitent. This power of binding and loosing is by Christ committed to his church. Verses 18 through 20. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Burkett notes, Here we have a gracious promise made by Christ of his presence with all his members in general and with his ministers in special. Whenever they meet together in his name, that is, by his authority, in obedience to his command, and with an eye to his glory, whenever they celebrate any sacred institution of his, or execute any church censures, he will be in the midst of them to quicken their prayer, to guide in their counsels, to ratify their sentence, to accept their endeavors. Learn, one, that Christ will be graciously present with and amongst his people whenever they assemble and meet together in his name, be it never so small a number. Two, that Christ will in a special manner be present with the guides and officers of his church to direct their censures and to confirm the sentences passed in his name and pronounced by his authority upon obstinate offenders. Verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Burkett notes, Here Peter puts a question to our Savior, how often Christians should forgive offenses to their brethren professing repentance. Christ answers that there should be no end of our mutual forgiving one another, but we are to multiply our pardon as our brother manifests his repentance. Note that we are hereby obliged to take the frequent offender into our bosom and make him our intimate, but to lay aside all malice and thoughts of desires of revenge, and to stand ready to do any office of love and friendship. Learn, one, that to fall often into the same offense against our brother is a great aggravation of our offense. Two, that is the great multiplication of sin is a great aggravation of sin, so the multiplication of forgiveness is a demonstration of God-like temper in us. He that multiplies sin doth, like Satan, sin abundantly and he that multiplies pardon doth, like God, pardon abundantly. 
verses 23 through 35. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the lord of that servant was moved to compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told their lord all that was done. Then his lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses. Burkett notes, Our blessed Savior, to enforce the foregoing doctrine of mutual forgiveness, propounds a parable, the main scope of which is to show that unless we do actually forgive and pass by injuries done to us, we cut ourselves off from all interest in God's pardoning mercy and must expect no forgiveness at the hands of God. From the whole, note one, that as we all stand in need of forgiveness from God, so likewise of forgiveness from one another. Two, that we all stand bound by the laws of our holy religion to forbear and forgive one another. Three, that Almighty God has made the forgiving one another the certain and necessary condition of his forgiving us. Four, that such as are inexorable towards their brethren shall find Almighty God hard to be entreated towards themselves. We may expect the same vigor and severity from God which we show to men. Five, that the freeness of God's love in forgiving us ought to be both an argument to excite us to forgive one another and also a rule to direct us in the manner of forgiving each other. Doth God forgive us when he has power in his hand to punish us? So must we when we have ability and opportunity for revenge. Doth God forgive universally all persons? So must we all provocation. Doth he forgive freely and willingly, heartily and sincerely? So must we. We must be as forward in forgiving as they are in provoking. Learn from the whole the equity of unlimited forgiveness of our brother, because our God and Savior forgives us more numerous and heinous sins than our brother is capable of committing against us. Let all unmerciful and unchristian creditors remember this text, who cast poor men into prison for debt, who have nothing to pay. Surely he who bids us lend, looking for nothing again, will not allow us to imprison where nothing can be hoped for. It is to be feared such will find but little mercy hereafter, who have showed no mercy here. For if at the great day such shall be condemned, as did not visit Christians in prison, what will their condemnation be who have cast them into prison?